When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. with Ken McCusick here to look back at the Ravens loss 38 uh, 36-21 to the Panthers for week eight we're now a four and four team Ken McCusick how you doing life's good Josh how about you I'm doing not bad I'm doing all right uh this is a fun <laughs> this is this was not a fun game the the conversation on talk radio is fun because I like when guys go to extremes. This was the ugliest Ravens game of the year. There's no question in that. But uh, just because the Browns finally get around to firing Hugh Jackson doesn't mean the Ravens need to go out and, and fire John Harbaugh, right? Really good point there. I mean, There are probably 20 NFL teams who would love to be the Baltimore Ravens instead of who they are right now. Uh, maybe, they, maybe they don't know it, but there, should, there are 20 who should be. 
And uh, it's just one of these weird things where you put you string together two losses in a row, certainly, or you have a single bad loss like like happened to Carolina there, and people want to make it into more than what it is. I mean, we, we went through this, the loss at Cincinnati on a Thursday night, and people uh, weren't able to easily adapt even to that after they'd beaten Buffalo so handily. Uh, same thing is happening here. You know, this is a this is a road loss to an NFC team. It's a good team. They don't play them too often, so they don't know everything about them. Certainly, it's just it's a it's a not easy environment to go and win in. Uh, should they have have had a good chance to win the game? Yeah, they should have. They should have had about you know in the mid fifties chance to win this game. Uh, but it wasn't a seventy five or eighty percent chance that they blew. It was you know fifty five fifty six percent chance that they blew uh, on the game. As far as the other stuff goes, all of the things, people have their own agenda coming into the game. And they're looking for any time to leverage that agenda. There's ton of, tons of Flacco haters in this town, tons right. of Lamar lovers. We know that the backup quarterback in any town is the most popular player on the team. Right, and it's amazing because you're looking at two bad throws that Flacco made yesterday, and you're saying he's having a horrible year. When the complete opposite is true, he's having a better year than he's had lately. Yeah, he is. He really looks healthy. He's playing well. And, you know, Jackson had a good final stretch. And oftentimes, of course, garbage time is a good time to pile up stats. Uh, he yeah. did have a very bad pass early on to, to that cost the Ravens yes. big time early in the game. So Yeah. Yeah, Lamar had a horrible pass, which we'll, we'll get into on the offensive show. Mm-hmm. Today's going to be defense. But, all, I mean, he shouldn't have even been on the field on that, on that to even make that play. That I'm putting that on John Harbaugh. Um, but yeah, John Harbaugh is not Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson went three and thirty-six and one was his record to get fired. Mm-hmm. We, That's we, right. we shouldn't even be in comparing the two. Even if the Steelers beat the Ravens next week, it's not time for Harbaugh to leave. I, I agree. I mean, I think they'll they'll go the entire season with Harbaugh anyway. Right. Uh, the Ravens have never fired a coach in season. Um, they fired coordinators then, but. Uh, I, I do believe that uh, that he'll last the season, and and if you know the Ravens continue to fall, there will be questions about whether or not his message has become stale and whether or not he continues. But I, I don't think there's any imminent firing of Harbaugh. Right, and yes, October was ugly. One, one in uh, one in three for the month of October, so we've got to put October behind us, and uh, we've got a good stretch of home games. They're tough games, but we've got home games coming up that we can start to get a little bit of hope out of yeah good point i mean they're, they're favored against the steelers uh which a lot of people can't believe but that's the you know the nature of this is that baltimoreans are overreacting more to this loss than anyone else nationally and certainly more than the gamblers are i i have and, trouble i have trouble believing the ravens are favorites going into next week simply because i saw the raven defense picked apart yesterday and well, and, and my fear is that ben will do the same thing so they're, well, they're going to have to adjust it's it's a legitimate fear. They, there's a lot of reasons why Ben is an easier quarterback for them to deal with than Newton is because they don't have to account for him specifically as a runner. They can use their normal pass rush techniques to get after him. They don't have to spy him. They don't have to do any of the other things that that, that go along with with monitoring Cam Newton's success from the pocket. And then you also had you know them falling for every single misdirection play. Uh, the Steelers don't run as much misdirection as certainly as the Panthers do, and and they don't necessarily have the skill position players for it. But uh, you you would see, I think it's more likely uh, we'll see probably a little bit more misdirection than we have in past years uh, from from the Steelers. But right. I also think the Ravens will will be very much coached up on how to handle it 
uh, during this next week. All right. Um, right. Well, let's, there, there's the broad strokes of we're not panicking, we're not jumping ship yet, uh, even though there's concerns. So let's try to deal with yesterday's ugly defensive performance. Sure. Well, you know, one of, the, one of the things I just want to talk about for a minute, if you don't mind, Josh, is, is what kind of methodology we use to look at this after a loss like this. Because I go through the same thing the rest of you do. I sit on my couch, I watch the game, and we're, we're you know, keeping some notes and, and, uh, and keeping track of who's on the field in certain positions during the game, keeping, getting our score sheet built. But the main thing that I'm doing is screaming at the TV set, just like the rest of you, in terms of these results and uh, you know, not being able to believe what's actually going on and a six-man pass rush and this and that. We'll, we'll get into a lot of this stuff. But what I find is useful at the end of the game is just to try and allow myself to be surprised rather than take a preconceived notion into how I'm going to analyze this. And so I, I, I take the plays that had the biggest impact on the game. So I took every play of 10-plus yards, and I took the, the ones where the Panthers scored a touchdown. And I, I put, put those out, and I listed them out, and then we made notes about every single one and went through those. And from those notes, I try and identify what are the common threads I'm seeing that uh, that are repeatedly happening. Obviously, that's what common threads are uh, on some of these high value plays. And there were some things that came out of that, certainly, that were consistent or were, were, were occurring more than once anyway. Right, right. Um, I, so which, uh, where do you want to start with it? Now, we can start with, we can start with misdirection since okay. I already blew blew it already on that one. I think that was probably the most significant thing we saw is just the Ravens are known for having players who are maintain their position on the backside of run plays so you don't get burned by the reverse. They contain so you don't get beaten to the outside on runs and you contain uh, a player like Newton who might roll out uh, off of play action. Uh, they normally will have guys who are, you know, w- watching for the screen pass, watching that people don't slip out of the backfield with a fake block and then they accept a pass and they're and they're off to the races. I mean, they didn't do any of that well in this game, um, and there are a couple of players I'd call out for it, but but it was it was just a broad variety of players. Jimmy Smith and Weddle both got uh, sucked in on a run fake. Uh, where Newton ended up rolling for the for the, the Panthers' last touchdown, that that looked ugly, and uh, he walked in untouched uh, past those guys, and those were the two who were responsible for it. Uh, we we didn't have Kenny Young, I guess is another one I'd I'd pick on here. Zadarius Smith was bearing down early in the game on Newton for what would have been a nice uh, takedown or a pressure that, that at least probably would have forced it incomplete. But Kenny Young left his spot prematurely where he was actually imperiling the passing lane. Now, the, the receiver was behind him. It was Moore, and he didn't know it. And quite apparently, this is showing how Kenny Young is a downhill player, but he wasn't aware that he was, he was uh, imperiling the passing lane, which meant he thought he was helping to, to try and rush the quarterback, and, and he's supposed to do that at the point where Newton uh, leaves the pocket, which he had not done. And he also... Newton was not going to get away from Zadarius Smith on the play, so all it did was use two of our defenders on one of their offensive players, and that left the the, the pass open for for Newton to Moore, which went for a gain of uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it's in the teens, and uh, uh, got him at, got him a first down on that play. So those are examples of you know being beaten by misdirection, not being in the right place, not staying at home. 
you know, losing your spot on the reverse was another one. Moore had a big reverse. Uh, Mosley was unable to contain on the outside when Moore fumbled the football on the pitch. So pitch went back nine yards behind the line of scrimmage. Moore right. couldn't handle it initially, but he bobbled it forward and he got the gravy hop on the scoop and he picks it up and he runs for a gain of 28. Uh, yeah. Outraces Mosley the edge. Right. As a guy who wanted the Ravens to draft DJ Moore, yesterday's game was very irritating. Yes. Um, but you mentioned CJ Mosley. CJ Mosley, uh, I have made the mistake over the years of, of thinking CJ Mosley is the Ray Lewis replacement. And I think yesterday, if there's any game that's showing us that he is not up to that potential, it was yesterday. Was he picked on, or is this the CJ Mosley? Like, is this what we got? I mean, I, he was picked on a certain amount, and there's there's something going on that we have to realize is an overarching thing. First of all, the secondary is quite good, despite what people will say about it. You know, the, the safeties are both pretty good, the the corners are both pretty good, and Mosley is the obvious person you want to pick, or the linebackers, I'll say, are the obvious two you want to pick on. So they want to try and specifically pick on the area between level two and level three, or on crossing routes that that go in front of the linebackers. Either of those two are, are easy ways to get at the Ravens. Now, Mosley is picking up more of the coverage assignments because he's better at it than Kenny Young. So Kenny Young is a downhill player. Can't expect him to think about what's going on behind him, or can't he, he doesn't have the experience to know what's going on behind him just yet. And, and he's had trouble with that specifically. So Mosley's getting more of those assignments. And Mosley's a little better at it, but it's also his weakness in his game. So he's really getting picked on it. And, and we're really exposing what is weak about C.J. Mosley when we see him play there. He's still a good run defender, uh, still plays well downhill, play in front of him. And he has some ability to, to, to figure out what's going on behind him and, and get in the passing lane. He's just not as good as Anthony Levine, for example, who's the best on the Ravens at playing that underneath short zone responsibility where are the is cj mosley the long term you think they extend cj mosley in this position or do you think not giving him back the green dot is this kind of symbolism of where the ravens are feeling with cj mosley this year that's that's a really interesting question and point there i mean obviously not giving him back the green dot is is a question and, and you know i don't think that's necessarily decided for the year i think they just liked what happened with Reddle initially and it could be that a couple games like this and you know Weddle maybe not playing that well on the back end will change the thing and they'll they'll go back to mosley but i i think that there is a real question as to the valuation of Mosley because if you're if you get to the point where he's not a top five ILB talent and I think we're there, but maybe he's somewhere between the fifth and tenth best inside linebacker in the league or the sixth and tenth, you have to really pay him at a different level, and for that to be the case, then they both have to agree that it's the right price and it's those signings that are the hard ones. It's easiest to make the guy who's coming up for his contract the highest paid at his as at his position which will typically happen you know basically right. every every new contract or once per year effectively at each position yep. and and that wouldn't be that hard they'd, they'd be able to negotiate that contract easily it's when the guy's one tier below and he should be making 3 million dollars a year less than the very top guy at his position that's when it gets to be difficult and Mosley and his agent and the Ravens may not all agree on what that valuation is right and I, and that's I get that because Mosley's always going to think he's more valuable than he is. It's it's until you're the top, every player. until everyone agrees you are the top player in the league, you're going to think you're better than people are giving you credit for. Um, but I wonder, as Raven fans, 
if we're being too harsh on Mosley because we compare him to Ray Lewis or if we've kind of given him more space because we assume he's he's following Ray Lewis. Oh, you know, fair questions and I I don't I don't know that I really can can speak to everybody else's feeling about Mosley, but I never expected him to be Ray Lewis. You know, I hoped we would find a good inside linebacker replacement, but the notion that we would get a Hall of Famer at the same level as Ray is, is ridiculous. There's never been another inside linebacker at Ray's level. Never. <laughs> so why would we get another one right after, you know, one retires? Well, you know, it, it, it just it wasn't to be. And, you know, Mosley is at, at least a tier below Ray Lewis. And Ray Lewis did a whole bunch of things in the passing game to disrupt that that are very different from Mosley's experience. And, and Ray Lewis, you know, frankly, was a better run defender also than Mosley is. So, right. I, I, you know, I don't expect him to be as good in any particular area. I just want him to be a very good inside linebacker and not, you know, does not have to be a Hall of Famer, does not have to be an eight time Pro Bowl or even. I mean, he's made three Pro Bowls already. That's terrific. Uh, I just want to see him be a very dependable linebacker if the Ravens are going to end up signing him here. Sure, sure. Um, all right, let's move on from Chris Mosley. And what about uh, Jimmy Smith? He's been back for now, what, three games? Yeah. And so there is a lot of weakness there. I mean, obviously, Jimmy Smith, I'm not sure what the problem is exactly, but the other teams are picking on him more than they're picking on Brandon Carr. And that should tell you that Jimmy is not on his game right now at the level he had been previously because, you know, they they certainly pick on Carr uh, traditionally more. And you look back, Carr's really only had one bad game this uh, this season. Jimmy Smith's had two bad games in a row where he's been the more picked on guys and the first two games where he played a full game as opposed to sharing snaps with somebody else that may may help with, uh, you know, rest and whatnot. Uh, I, I see him being a better, uh, better winded uh, pass defender along the boundary in the games where he was playing 30 snaps than he, than he has been the last two when he's been playing 60. So uh, it's, it's a harder, uh, hard thing to judge, but Anthony Averett was available. They did not bring him in until the victory formation was already going on. So he might have played a couple snaps in this game, but, he, but you know, none of them were meaningful. Uh, he really probably should have gotten a series in the first half, a series in the second half, just to get Jimmy Smith a little rested and uh, and back in his top form. How how much of that was affected by Marlon Humphrey being out? It's awful to have Marlon out. Obviously, he's you you replace your most underperforming corner by one of the better corners in the league when he comes back. So he, it's it's absolutely critical the Ravens get him back. If they don't have him back for for Pittsburgh, it's going to make this a much more difficult game. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm hopeful he'll be back. Um, I don't know how serious the the hamstring is, but uh, but hopefully it's uh, it allows him to play again against Pittsburgh and play well. All right. Um, even going into this game, the, this was a game that you could easily kind of pick against the Ravens because the matchup and because of Cam Newton on the field, and the Ravens did a poor job containing Cam. Yeah, very very poor job. Now they they have options in terms of how to com, uh, contain Cam. They can assign a spy to him. Now that of course has the cost of having one less defender across the field, or one less pass rusher, or one less something. So you you, it's an allocation of resources. And what the Ravens chose to do in this game was to rush in very controlled lanes. And one of the ways this showed up 
was they didn't stunt in this game. So when they don't when they don't stunt, they're really trying to make sure everybody stays in their lane, has the best possible chance to force Newton wide so pursuit can arrive and and help to take him down because it's it's obviously is going to be difficult to keep him completely in the tackle box. Some of that started to go bad right away early in the game when Newton was not called for the um, uh, intentional grounding foul. So he he moved what a step maybe. Right. Uh, and 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 he threw the ball away, and it was very clear. No one anywhere near the area. They let him get away with the intentional grounding call there. Well, that, of course, opens up all sorts of ability for Newton to play more games in the pocket and use his elusiveness in the pocket more before he has to fear leaving it and and uh, and you know using his elusiveness otherwise. and And that uh, obviously creates a, a situation where where Newton has, uh, uh, more freedom to not leave the pocket, so that's, uh, that so, wasn't a good thing. So you're comparing that the refs not given, not calling that intentional grounding, kind of to a uh, umpire who's stretching the strike zone, who now the pitcher knows they can push it up, push it up, and get a little more space. Great analogy. Great analogy. All right. Um, all right. Then the other <laughs> issue is your your boy disappeared. What happened to T Sizzle? Right. Well, you know, this is one of the worst games he's had in years. He, he did not have a single pressure event. He really just completely disappeared from the game. He didn't. He wasn't great on containment. Uh, you know, there's a, just a, he. It was like he was not on the field, and yet he was on the field for quite a few snaps here. I'll give you a number in a second here, but uh, Suggs played 46 snaps in total. Uh, it, was, it was the second most of any linebacker after Mosley. So, you know, we should have seen, heard his name called a few times, and we did not. Um, so, a tough game. Uh, you know, he's blocked effectively. The left guard we'd been told a little bit about, Clark, is nothing special. And to have him playing well against, uh, you know, arguably the Ravens' best defensive player is uh, not a good thing. <laughs> right, right, of course. Um, I want to get to the pass rush because we've talked a lot about that this year. But first, let's talk about this whole end of the half. The Panthers had the ball. There's 11 seconds left on the clock, and there was just confusion. Yeah, I, I, it's it, what what bothered me is the Ravens really had their head on straight in terms of what they wanted to do with that first play. So let, let's let's go through this. We we don't have sponsors. We can take a little more time on this. So a Q2, 11 seconds. The Panthers had third and two from the 44. They didn't have any timeouts remaining, so they had one play to try and gain some yardage and get the ball out of bounds because they didn't think they could make a 62-yard field goal with Gano. Even though Gano's made a 64-yarder this year, right. a little more wind and whatnot, 62 would have been a, a risk they didn't really want to take. So the Ravens lined up in the quarter defense, and it's one of the oddest alignments, but you know how I love odd alignments when Martindale figures something out that it, nobody else is doing to get it, it out. Works. If it works, yes. <laughs> so they lined up with seven defensive backs. They had Sizzle and Judon guarding each sideline at a distance between three and five yards. So they effectively wanted to keep the the uh, Panthers from getting a short pass that went out of bounds for probably between five and ten yards, but you start the guy at three yards because he can react and move back. And and if as long as you can stop that, the clock will run out dur- during the, the time. Right. Or maybe they get they have to go out before that spot, and then it's still a long field goal. Maybe, maybe they cut it to 60 yards, but they don't cut it from meaningfully from 62. So anyway, on that play, I thought very well set up. They only had one pass rusher who was opposite the the line of scrimmage, and that was Darius Smith over center. And guess what? He dropped to cover. 
So they had Clark, you'll see in some pictures that are out there on the website, was in coverage of McCaffrey, but the Ravens actually had zero pass rushers on the play. And all five offensive linemen are looking around, looking for work, and they don't have any to, to anybody to block. So anyway, Newton sat there in the pocket for a minute, and then he realized uh, the clock's going to run out, and he threw the ball away, and there's only five seconds left. Right. So you figure the Ravens dodged the bullet. Now they have an opportunity for a Hail Mary play, or they can go ahead and they kick, kick this 62-yard field goal. And it looked like for a while the Panthers were a little bit disorganized then, and they took a five-yard um, delay of game penalty. Right. Because so I assume that meant they were making room to punt the ball or something. But, but punt would have been a possibility. You know, it, it even made a Hail Mary a difficult choice because they, they moved the ball back to the 49-yard line from the 44. So that makes the Hail Mary more difficult. You have to you have to have time to get a Hail Mary off right. if, the, if the team has any pass rush. So anyway, the, the Ravens on, on the next play decided, well, let's try something different. Let's put six pass rushers on the field and only a nickel defense. Well, the problem was it wasn't an all-or-nothing play. It was a play where a medium gain, such as the Panthers got in this situation, was very valuable in terms of getting the field goal unit on the field. And five seconds was long enough for them to have a completely uncontested pitch and catch and get out of bounds and set up a field goal that was then trimmed to 54 yards. Now, there's a lot of different ways they could have lined up in terms of, of trying to stop this. But if you look at the, at the video of the play, the Panthers had Greg Olson alone into the left, but they had trips on the right side, presumably set up to run a Hail Mary. But those three guys, any of any of the four, could have caught a pass that would have put the Panthers in field goal range. So they didn't try and defend it in any way, shape, or form. So what the Ravens did do is they rushed 6-6, six, six, and the Panthers had six to block. They didn't get no pressure. In fact, Zadarius Smith pushed the left guard Van Roten back very quickly into the backup quarterback, Taylor Heineke, I believe this is his name, Heineke, um, to, to give him pressure. But Olsen was so wide open, it was still a very simple pitch and catch throw to him. But, and but then still, we ha- still a, a tough play that they're trying to get off in less than five seconds. It's, it's a tough play, but they had a little bit of help. And, and you know, we talked about this a little bit before, so it's not like this is any kind of, any kind of surprise. But the the uh, the game clock operator was definitely a home game clock operator in this game. So there are five seconds left. To be clear here, five seconds on the CBS game clock you'll see that should be synced up with the uh, game clock in the stadium. Okay, and when you see it at five, it means there are four point something seconds left in the half. Right. Okay, because it's when it's zero, it's zero seconds left in the half. When, it, when you move one second forward to that, there's there's one second left in the half or something less than one second left in the half. So anyway, the the uh, uh, if you do the click method, and we've talked about this before, but you can use your regular DirecTV DVR remote. If you hit pause on that, you can then use the fast forward button to do an individual refresh forward at a time. Now, this, broadca- this game was broadcast on CBS, which means broadcast in 1080i, which has a refresh rate of 30 per second. Am I correct, Josh, and all that? You're, yes, you're, you're correct. Okay. Yeah, there you it's go. either 25 or 30, something like that. No, it's, I think it's 30 That's, because 30, I've, I've timed 10, it up many times. 1080 <laughs> makes sense that it would be 30. Okay. And 720 is 60 per second. But the, yes. but it's, but the 1080i is 30 per second. And you can even try it yourself. Go do exactly what I'm telling you. Hit pause on a play. Click until a second clicks off. Then click 30 more times and you'll see another another second click off. You can calibrate 
your your DVR said it's exactly 25 refreshes. It's it's recording for you per second. And that allows you to time all sorts of things accurate to within 0.03 seconds, which is useful for a lot of things in football analysis. So right. what we saw in this play was the, the ball was snapped, and from the first movement of the, of the football, it was 51 clicks. That's 1.7 seconds until a second run off the clock. Now, to be clear, it should have taken between one click and 30 clicks for the first second to run off the clock, depending on how far above one second they, they above four seconds, they still had left in the game. But it took 51 to run off. So it looks like the Panthers gained over a second from that. Would Olsen have gotten out of bounds anyway with necessary yardage for the field yes. goal? Probably. But it still was home clock operation at its finest and, uh, and definitely you know, benefited the Panthers. So just a hair delay from starting that clock. Uh, uh, more like, start the clock now. Okay. <laughs> Right, right. I'm sure the guy mispressed, mispressed a different button or something. He missed the button, had to press it again. There um, you go. All right. But anyway, that was weird. Uh, the Ravens, it all comes down to the Ravens and the Panthers were had different plans on that. On, they on, did. On how you handle that time. And I, I'm, I, I got to say one more thing. I'm trying to see what was the Ravens' upside on that play. I, I understand why maybe you'd like to have six guys rush the passer on a Hail Mary, all things being equal. But the only upside I can see for the Ravens is getting to the to the backup quarterback, stripping him of the football, and running it in for a touchdown, which is a tall, 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 tall order uh, at that point in the game. It's the only way the Ravens could have had any result better than an incomplete pass, say. Because all, all, all others, sacks, everything else, are equivalent. Uh, so you're... Your, your other results that, that give the Panthers either a first down out of bounds as they got or the Hail Mary for the touchdown, those chances both, I think, are increased by the fact that you rushed six. So you better have something good you can plan to get when you do that. And I, I just right. I think it was a completely awful decision by Martindale. And I'm very positive on what Martindale's done for the team this year, but I thought it was a, just a terrible defensive alignment to go in. All right. Um... Let's talk about the pass rush because the Ravens are still leading the league in sacks by one, but that is heavily weighed towards getting 11 against the Tennessee Titans because they yep. didn't get any yesterday. No, they, they didn't, and they, they, they backed off a lot of the pressure that they had tried before. So, for example, now, remember the, the Panthers only dropped back to pass 30 times in this game, so that's not a huge number. But the Ravens only blitzed from off the line of scrimmage nine times with different players. Okay, nine individual blitzes. They had 12 rushes where they used five or more, which is another definition of blitzes that people use, which is just confusing, frankly. That was 40% of the time. I will say nothing they tried in terms of numbers worked. So they, they allowed 9.1 yards per play when they rushed four, 6.8 when they rushed five, 13.0 when they rushed six, and six when they 6.0 when they rushed seven. So nothing worked uh, in, in terms of the pass rush, unless they, you talk about the time they rushed three and the time they rushed zero. So it wasn't a matter of numbers. They, they did not stunt at all in this game. And the reason for that, I believe, is that they're trying to maintain very clean rush lanes and keep an eye on Newton. So they didn't want to do twisting that would allow Newton to escape the pocket. It kind of makes sense when you think about it but it also takes an element of deception away from the from the Ravens defense. And the last thing, they only rushed they only dropped two 
to coverage from the line of scrimmage on three separate occasions. I think that was probably a good plan since Newton was very good with hot reads in this game. If they blitzed anybody like off the slot or, uh, you know, blitzed the linebacker, Newton had it figured out in terms of who he was going to. All right. Um, so I, I was just thinking also during this game, the Panthers seemed to get every ball to bounce their way because yeah. there were a few times where we got pressure in there. We got our hands on the ball and it still managed to go to Panthers. Right. So, you, I mean, there's three plays you can point to easily. The Judon had, had a nice, difficult tip on a, on a uh, screen pass to the right to McCaffrey. And McCaffrey still hauled in the ball for a three-yard loss. Fortunately, it didn't go against the Ravens in terms of how bad the result was. But it could have gone for the Ravens in terms of being an interception and a run the other way. And it, it right. didn't, didn't work out in their favor. And, of course... The, the, the ball tipped by Weddle near the goal line is one of the big missed opportunities of the game. The announcers made the point that, that that's a ball that's typically intercepted. Mosley went up, and McCafferty you know, out-jumped him for the ball yep. and, uh, and got the touchdown. So that's terrible, I and mean, that, that just it doesn't happen very often exactly that way. By the way, in the 2006 Ravens-Panthers game at Baltimore, uh, Mark Clayton had two tip ball catches – four touchdowns in that game. So it's a little bit of payback from 12 years ago um, uh, on things happening that way. Uh, you know, the other thing in terms of the ball bouncing just directly for them was DJ Moore's pickup on the fumbled yeah. pitch. Yeah, the little dribble. Yeah, just uh, just an absurdly clean hop that he got, and he, uh, he picked it up and he took off. Right, right. If that didn't bounce exactly how it bounced, it could have been a touchdown for us. Or, or even even not a touchdown, but Mosley takes him down for an eight or nine yard loss. Sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that can go wrong for the uh, for the offense when the ball's on the ground. Right, right. Um, what's the deal with Brandon Williams and this offsides call? Okay, so we'll talk about that briefly because it's a good film uh, room moment for those guys. I'm sure they're having a lot of fun with it. I'm sure Brandon is not, but uh, right. but w- Williams saw Van Roten flinch. This is late in the game. He'd already had a, a face mask flag. The announcer suggested it was the Ravens defense getting kind of tired and upset, and they were reacting poorly with that. That may have been the case, but the in particular, it was a very bad judgment call for a leader like Williams to do. He saw Van Roten on the other side uh, flinch. There's no doubt about it. He flinched. So Brandon Williams has two options in that situation that are good options, and he had only one option that was really a terrible option. That's the one he chose, which was of to course. jump into the jump into the neutral zone, point continuously at Van Roten, and hope the officials would would blow the whistle. Well, they didn't blow the whistle. The play went off, and then of course that gives the offense the option value. So it's worse than just a five yard penalty. Right, they have they play. have a free play. Yeah, yeah. So and and that's the big thing about penalties is the ones that don't stop the play dead. They're, they have option value that you really need to avoid as a defensive player. So anyway, there were two things Williams could have done on the first play. The first is just sit there on the other side of the line of scrimmage and point at him. It doesn't always work, but sometimes the, 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 uh, somebody will throw a flag because of what you, you see confirming what they thought they saw. Okay, So they thought they saw a penalty, but they really want to see a defensive player upset about it. So it can happen. The other one, which is which is a bolder move, is to just go across the line of scrimmage, knock Van Roten on his ass. And and what that'll do is that'll force the whistle, and then the officials will huddle up, and they'll have to decide, was it a false start or was it was it a uh, offsides? Now, they, they might be biased towards not doing it, but they're not as invested in that play. Like, if, if, the, if the movement is very quick, 
in order to jump offside. So they they could make that call either way. Uh, but it also the, the important thing it does it kills off the optionality. So you, all you all you end up you don't end up with a free play there. All right, gotcha. Um, you mentioned we talked already about the weakness with Jimmy Smith, um, and he really struggled this week. Is the key for next week really going to be getting back Marlon uh, Humphrey and maybe uh, Anthony Everett, Everett yeah. seeing the ball a, a little more? Yeah, Everett needs to see the field some more, I think. Uh, the Ravens need to find out what they have for next year. Uh, Brandon Carr and Jimmy Smith both are huge potential cap gains if they can unload them. I, know, I don't know if it's going to be wise at this point to unload both. They may decide that Carr is the guy they keep, depending on how Smith plays the rest of the season. But uh, they may get rid of them both and, and draft another corner. That wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, they've got guys coming back that, that uh, you know, they, they could still have Anthony Averitt. Sorry, not Anthony Averitt. Um, uh, Maurice Kennedy back before the end of the season. So they have potentially some players that could come back. But uh, uh, anyway, the, the uh, not getting Averitt on until the, the, the Panthers were in victory formation is too late. Right. Why? Why did it take that long? I, I, I don't have a good reason other than he's coming back from injury. But he played special teams, so he obviously was able to play. And, okay. you know, if you, you put him out there covering a gunner and having to run the field and whatnot, you're, you're putting his uh, hamstring at risk. So you'd have to feel like he probably could play corner also. But by keeping him, you know, they, they didn't even give him a series in each half or, or anything that would give them a better sense of exactly where he was. Um, in terms of uh, being back into game shape, so that was a shame. They did put him on, you know, with two snaps to go when the when the Panthers were kneeling, and then of course you don't see anything. Right, and then Marlin, they they declared him out early. I think it was Friday. They said he'd still be out with his thigh injury. Yeah, that's right. So I don't know when what we'll hear this week. Obviously, on Wednesday we'll start we'll start getting injury reports. But uh, this is a very very big game, and if part of this might have been give Marlon an extra week to be ready. Uh, it doesn't really sound like that, honestly, given that they ruled him out on Friday. Right. But uh, it's he's he's a player they very much need against the Steelers. Right. The Ravens weren't looking past this game, but next week's game means a whole lot more. It does. It does. All right. Uh, let's get to the film study mailbag. And you can get in your questions either commenting over on Russell Street Report or uh, on Twitter. Use the hashtag film study mailbag. And let's see, uh, first question up, let's get in and talking about C.J. Mosley. And Zach, I would like to know your thoughts on the lack of speed displayed by C.J. yesterday and why Kenny Young isn't out there more. Um, you know, there are a lot of things wrong with, what, with C.J.'s game yesterday. He didn't tackle well. He didn't contain well. He didn't cover well. So there's a lot of things that didn't went wrong. In some cases, if I really thought it might be due to injury, which I unfortunately I don't, then that would be a good thing, you know, because it would be an explanation. We there there might be a solution for, or or at least a resolution right. for later that 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 he'll he'll be better. I I just I'm not convinced that's necessarily the case. Um, you know, he just he, he looks a little off. The other team is really picking on him in terms of they know they want to pick on the Raven linebackers and they think they found the weaker the weaker sister in terms of the one with more responsibility and and less ability to cover his own role. Than uh, than Kenny Young uh, or than uh, even Peanut, who is a, a pure downhill player. Right, sure. Um, 
I, I, I warned you ahead of time that I thought the mailbag this week might be a little bit on the negative side. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's see how we go. John asks, looking at good to great defenses in the past, how often over the course of a season do they typically have a failure like the Ravens had yesterday? All right, it so does. He, he's still putting the Ravens in this good to great category. You, you know, that's one of the – that's a great question, and it does happen. It, it really does. It, the teams will have an absolute crap fest, crap all over themselves in one game in a year where they go on to win the Super Bowl. And you look back at the 2012 Ravens and look what happened to them against Denver during the regular season – that would be a good game to point at. If you go back to the 1970 Dallas Cowboys, uh, they lost 38 to nothing on Monday Night Football at midseason to the to the Cardinals. Uh, so you know it can happen. The Patriots lost the opener one year, 31 to nothing. I mean, great teams even lose some games very badly. By the way, this game wasn't in that category. It was not as one-sided as any of these ones I'm citing. Um, it's it was a it was a very bad, very demoralizing defeat for a lot of reasons. But it wasn't as bad as any of those games. That's for sure. The Ravens were in this game for a fair amount of it. They came back in the third quarter and looked like they might be re-entering the game with a nice touchdown drive. Uh, and then from there, they they obviously failed to get it done. All right. Um... One more. Uh, actually, we'll go two more. The de- the defense. This from Spencer. The defense looked like they got away from what's made them successful this season, with the front playing to contain, the secondary playing to not get burned, uh, results in clean QB throw in to free running. Seems like P's like. Your thoughts? Okay, so it's a valid point. I mean, the the Panthers' offensive personnel forced them into some looser schemes probably that they would not normally play. So, for example, not using stunts in the pass rush, not doing as much blitzing from off the line of scrimmage, those are good examples of things where the Ravens weren't able to play their normal game against the Panthers. But on the other flip side of that coin, every time they did do those things, when they rushed Tavon Young, when they did other things to rush somebody else, Newton was right on top of that hot read. You got to give some of the credit to the guy on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and he played right. very well. Same goes for for him breaking contain personally for the uh, Panthers, effectively using misdirection against the Ravens and and beating them on reverses, and you know beating the containment with more the other time on the fumble ball, and just all of the stuff that went on. A lot of things bounced their way, but they also had a much better game plan in terms of of what they were doing. Uh, and, and figured out how to try and beat an aggressive defense. And, and it worked. It worked very well. I think the Ravens have been schooled by this, and I hope they will learn from it and take this experience on for the rest of the season in terms of needing to be a more disciplined team on the backside in particular. All right, gotcha. All right, final one is uh, Brad gets in with my favorite mailbag question of the week. Can it be that Flacco and Harbaugh basically – Rode Lewis's and Reed's coattails all those years. Harbaugh and Flacco together since then is only 500 with one playoff win. Okay, I mean, I, you know, you're, you're stating what is very true, obviously, and it's the sort of pronouncement that is fine. And by the way, we love your comments. We love your questions oh, on, on Phil yes. Setting Mailback. I will take that as a comment and not a question. It sounds kind of rhetorical to me. The guy really has his own opinion that, that you know, it was a coattails effect. I mean, right. I think it's a, it's a little I mean, bit. I can read the rest of his comment if you want some questions. Like, uh, the Ravens have good players, but do they have any leadership? 
Blacko played good on the Super Bowl run, but is he not capable of putting the team on his back? If you want questions, <laughs> well, he's got questions. And, and again, you know, I, I, I take those questions as being kind of rhetorical. A, a rhetorical question is not just one for which there's no answer. It's one for which you already think you know the answer. You know, that, that, that kind of makes it rhetorical, too. Uh, occasionally, I, in, in my career as an actuary, I'll tell you this. I've heard a lot of rhetorical questions from marketers that weren't rhetorical questions at all. And you know, I did great pleasure in trying to give them right. a question, give them an answer to their question, uh, treated as non-rhetorical. Yeah, it's, anyway. it's, it's like when you're trying, it's well, the videos of the police trying to get the forced confession. I'm going to ask the, keep asking the question until you say that <laughs> what I'm asking is correct. There you go. Um but yeah, and I also think that you know what? There's lots of cities that 500 for the past five years with two with a player coach combo would be okay. Yeah, they they would be, and and they certainly would take the entire Harbaugh Flacco era as being a period of generalized success. Yes, not a not one where I mean, it's very convenient to start your counting the day after they win the Super Bowl. Yes, of course. They have to win their last Super Bowl, and then they've only got only got one playoff win. To, to, right. It was right. a huge one, by the way, but they've only got one to look at. Right, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, look at the Red Sox. They haven't won anything yet this year, or since, the, since they won the last World Series. <laughs> there you go. Yes, it's been forever. Right. Um, all right, Ken McCusick, what's up on Russell Street Report right now? Articles are out there, of course. Uh, offensive line stuff will be will be looked at tonight. Josh and I will get to it a little bit later in the week. Got a little more detail on the plays. If you really want to want to rehash that mess and look through play by play at what went wrong, um, timestamps are out there. I encourage you to to look at it and and give me a, give me a, a direct message or a question on Twitter, and and I'll be happy to talk to you about any of it. Also, want to point out, and this is—I'm hearing more of this from time to time—but there's more people interesting in doing some sort of football analytics work. And if you'd like a start in that, and we'd just like to talk about, you know, how do you get started? It seems overwhelming, or you don't know where to maybe to begin. If you have something you'd like to look at, I—I'm very happy to talk to you and help you in terms of how you set up the process of collecting data to do that. But uh, please, by all means. Uh, Contact me via Twitter, via email, whatever it would be, and and uh, I'd be I'd be happy to talk to you. And Josh, tell them a little bit about um, uh, about Birdland Radio. Uh, Birdland Sports, uh, actually, Birdland Radio will still go to BirdlandSports.com. So you, okay. so I don't worry, Ken. I got you straightened out so that if you say the wrong thing, people still get directed in the right spot. So did you? Yeah, I've done that a number of times, and I every time I'm about to say it, I'm like right. I'm taking a 50-50 chance. You know, did, just, did you buy both domain names? Yeah, uh, yes. Well, I had Birdland Radio already because this all started with a, a one-day-a-year event we would do called Birdland Radio, and now we've turned it into Birdland Sports, which is the goal is just a home to collect a bunch of Baltimore sports podcasts, and that's what it is. is uh, multiple podcasts up there, so you can catch, out, catch a bunch of different shows. You can find new shows up there and all that, and uh, film studies on there. We've got a bunch of Ravens shows, and Session 336 will be recording and posting a new episode tonight where I'm sure we'll talk some Ravens and some Orioles, and I'm sure we'll talk about Steve Pierce and the tremendous uh, World Series series that he had as being a former Oriole that never got much credit here in Baltimore. Fair enough. Are you guys generally miserable over the fact that the Red Sox are world champs, or do you not really care? Um, I don't care. I mean, okay. I don't like it, but I'll quickly get over it. I like that Steve Pierce won. I don't like that it was with the Red Sox. And I am glad that it ended with Manny Machado striking out because I've been very <laughs> irritated with Manny Machado this postseason. 
Yep, so, tough postseason. That's how it is. All right, Ken. Well, we will uh, break down the offense in the next day or two. Let's go, Josh. Talk to you then. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.